Today I'll introduce you a piece of story that I think is funny from the novel *The Moon in Six Pieces*. Uh, first I'll introduce you what the novel is about. Uh, the novel is written largely from the point of view of the narrator, a young aspiring writer and playwright in London. Certain chapters entirely compress accounts of events by other characters. With the narrator recalls from memory, selecting, editing, or elaborating on certain aspects of dialogue, particularly Strickland's. As Strickland is said by the narrator to have a very poor ability to express himself in words, the narrator first develops an acquaintance with Strickland's wife at literary parties. And later meets Strickland himself, who appears to be an unremarkable businessman with no interest in his wife's literary or artistic taste. Strickland is a well-off middle-class stockbroker in Linus, in Linus, sometime in late 19th or early 20th century. Early in the novel, he leaves his wife and children and goes to Paris. The narrator enters directly into the story at this point, where when he is asked by Mrs. Strickland to go to Paris and talk with her, her husband, he lives in a destitute but de defiantly content life there as a painter, lodging in run-down hotels and falling prey to both illness and hunger. Strickland, his drive to express through his art what appears to be continually precises and compelling on the inside. There's nothing for physical discomfort and is indifferent to his surroundings. His help is helped and supported by a commercially successful but hackneyed Dutch painter, Dirk Stroll. Coincidentally, also an old friend of the narrators, who recognize, who recognize Strickland's genius as a painter. After helping Strickland remove, recover from a life-threatening illness, Drove is repaid by having his wife Balanche abandon him for Strickland. Strickland later discards the wife. Here's how Stroh reacts to his wife's departure. I couldn't believe it. It seemed so improbable. She couldn't bear the set of him. It was more than improbable. It was incredible. I thought it was merely jealousy. You see, I've always been jealous, but I trained myself never to show it. Oh, I was jealous of Erin. She knew I was jealous of you. I knew she didn't love me as I love her. But that was only natural, wasn't it? But she allowed me to love her. And that was enough to make me happy. I forced myself to go out for hours together in order to leave them by themselves. I wanted to punish myself for her suspicions, which were unworthy of me. And when I came back, I found they didn't want me. Not strictly. They didn't care if I was there or not. But Valentine, she shuddered when I went to kiss her. When I was. I was certain I didn't know what to do. I knew they were only laughing at me if I made a scene. 
I thought if I hold my tongue and pretend not to see, everything would come right. I made up my mind to get him away quietly without quarreling. Oh, if only you knew what I suffered. Then he told me again of his asking Strickland to go. He chose his moments carefully and tried to make his request sound casual, but he could not master the trembling of his voice. And he found himself that, in the words, that he wished to seem jovial and friendly. There trapped the bitterness of his jealousy. He had not expected Strickland to pick him up on the spot and make his preparation to go there and then. Above all, he had not expected his wife's decision to go with him. I saw that now he wishes, he wished with all his heart that he had held his tongue. He preferred the anguish of jealousy to the anguish of separation. I wanted to kill him, and I only made a fool of myself. He was silent for a long time, and then he said what I knew was in his mind. If I only waited, perhaps it would give, it would have gone all right. I shouldn't have been so impatient. Oh, poor child! What have I driven her to? I shrugged my shoulders, but did not speak. I had no sympathy for Balanchine's stroke, but knew that it would only pain poor Dirk if I told him exactly what I thought of her. He had reached that stage of exhaustion when he could not stop talking. It went over every word of the scene. Now. Something occurred to him that he had not told me before. Now he discussed what he ought to have said instead of what he did not did say. Then he lamented his blindness. He regretted that he had done this, and blamed himself that he had omitted the other. It grew later and later, and at last I was tired as he. What are we going to do now? I said finally. What can I do? I shall wait till she sends for me. Why don't you go away for a bit? No, no. I must be at hand when she wants me. For the present, she seemed quite lost. He has not made no plans. Um, that's a story of scroll.